It's so good to see you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my thing here, stand here, so I feel a little bit taller. It's great to be with you. I love being up here at the Norris. I love teaching at the Norris, and I love you, each of you, individually, specifically, even if I've never met you. I love you. So just be affirmed in that today. How many of you are adventurers? Nice transition. How many of you love adventure? Like, you like adventure stuff, all right? Adventurers? Adventurers? How many of you are like, give me some AC and a pina colada, and I'm good? And how many, like, a few of you notice there's like a little mix? I'm kind of in the middle there. I'm right in the middle. I love adventure. I crave adventure. I thrive in adventure. I love watching documentaries about like Lewis and Clark expedition. This summer, um, I read The Lost World of, of Z about Percy Fawcett, and I started reading it. I go, I have another friend who, like, lazily likes adventure as well, so I got a book for Chris over here. I'm like, Chris, you got to read this with a nice latte and an air-conditioned room. But it's about this explorer in the early 20th century that is, is obsessed with going into the Amazon, these sort of uncharted territory for sort of the Western um, explorer. And something in me kind of hungers, and it's turned to life. Um, granted, from a nice, comfortable sitting position. But when I go on vacation, I'm also sort of an adventurer. Okay? I don't like this risky um, travels, or I don't like to do things that are exhausting necessarily. But every single time we go to a tropical location, I pick a day, and that day will be my spirit walk. I call it a spirit walk. Okay? And it's not as holy as you might think. I just call it that because it sounds better. But what I do is, I, uh, for example, this summer we were in Playa del Carmen, just before, just during the cartel wars, as they were kicking off, we were there. And um, I was there with Iomos and, and the Davises, and I, I let everyone know. I make a big announcement. Thursday will be my spirit walk. I will be on a spirit walk. And what I do is I start in the morning. I get the necessary provisions, and I decide we're on the beach. And I go, I'm going to walk as far as the eye can see and see what's around the bend, right, of the beach. How many of you like that? You want to see, you want to find out. And so I get going, and I have just basic provisions, water bottle, maybe a cerveza, I don't know. And I decide I'm going to walk to the edge of the universe as far as I can see. And I just go, and I go the whole day. And I walk, and I travel, and I see things. And when I come, because it's just hungering in me, i got to see what's next. And when I come back, somehow I've grown a giant beard, and my clothes are tattered. And I walk in, I'm like, I need provisions. I have seen things. I'm a changed man. Right, and I'm different. And then I want to tell everybody about what I saw that they did not see. Interestingly, most people don't want to hear about it. But it's amazing things. I saw just beyond this resort, there was another resort quite similar to this one. <laughs> and beyond that, a lot of bushes. I saw an iguana. And then yet another resort, strikingly similar to the one before it and the one before that. And so that was my big spirit walk journey. So I'm a changed man. Into the yonder. That's what I titled this. We don't say yonder enough. How many, how many of you say yonder still? Yonder. We need to say it more. I feel like I should have some straw in my mouth. Dressed up like a cowboy. You ask me a question, I answer everything with yonder. And then I spit. Yonder. No one's with me on that? Tough crowd in here. Tough crowd in here. All right, Todd, you got to warm them up. You, you pump me up too much. And they're like, who is this clown? Spirit walking clown. So, <laughs> in our passage today, how was that transition? Right into it. <laughs> um, 
I have so many stories though of wanting to see something further, right? And like, I just, I, I, I want to know what's past there. And I pretend when I'm on these journeys, I pretend that I, I'm the first one to ever make them. I literally, I just act as if I found a lost civilization or no one's ever walked this route before. And I do that in my imagination because there's something so exciting about finding something that seems uncharted or beyond where you've been, right? Or further than you've ever gone. And one of the things I love about our scriptures, when you, when you take our scriptures seriously and you start reading them, I'm going to wander over to my water provisions. Where else? <laughs> I'm just going to leave. My whole, my whole message is a spirit walk. Come if you want. I'm glad we're not recording this today, are we? No, we are. I, um, I love when you take the scriptures seriously and you find these passages that you look at and you go, I don't know what to do with that. I just don't know where to go with that. What do, I, what do I make of this passage? Like, if I take it really seriously, it's pointing me to something that's bigger and crazier than, than I might be comfortable with or I might have expected, right? And, and something that's so easy to do is to try to take the scriptures, try to take passages and master them. Let's master the sayings of Jesus. Let's, let's really make it palatable and clear and easy. And, and make perfect sense out of all of it. And then you hit a passage like the one I've been assigned today in John 14, 1 through 14, and you go, what do I do with that? Right? Part of me is troubled by that because I want to have mastered everything in my life. I want to just have perfect control and know what's next. Part of me comes to life and says, there's something more here. There's something bigger and further and grander than meets the eye. There's something untamed here. And it, and it livens my heart. So I'm going to read the passage to you, um, and then we are. Then we're going to kind of look at two sort of pieces in here. So I'm just going to start off John 14. This the the context. Jesus is still talking to his disciples um, uh, just before the crucifixion. He's having these long discourses and telling them some really important things. So here's what he says. He says, "Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me." My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would not have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place that I'm going. And his disciples kind of looking at him like, no, actually, we don't know. What are you talking about, Jesus. And Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way. This is a great passage. Echo, emi, ha hadas. I am the way, and ha alethia, and the truth, and ha zoe. Anyone here named Zoe? Any Zoe? He's a life. I am the way. I am the truth. I am that which is truest. Ultimate reality. I am the life. You want to talk about life. I am the life. Interesting passage. You hear it a lot. It's said as a little snippet or a blurb quite a bit in sort of Christian um, conversations. And here in this context, they're still scratching their heads. Verse 8, Philip said, um, or or I'm sorry, verse uh, 7, if you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough for us. Just give us a glimpse of the Father. Let us see his character, his heart, his priorities. Let us see what makes God tick. Let us understand him. Let us just 
glimpse the Father, and Jesus answered, You don't know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show me the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father? The Father is in me. This profound unity, this divine triune dance that Bill and Todd and Matt will unpack. I'll leave all the heavy theological lifting to them. These words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is, going, who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works you've seen themselves. And he says, Amen, amen, truly, truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things in these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Okay. Any of you artists in here? Like artists? Artists are like, like, they're amongst us, people. They're amongst us. And if you're with someone who has a trained eye for art and you go to the Getty with someone with a trained eye. I took my kids to the, the Getty. They do not have a trained eye for art. And as a matter of fact, I don't either because they were climbing on a statue that turns out was like pretty expensive and like alarms went off and stuff. And I blame the, the Getty for endangering my kids with that stat. That's negligent parenting at its best. But you go to the Getty Villa with someone that's like, they know art. They study it. They see it. They understand the period of time that that art is created in. And you sit and look at a piece maybe. Maybe it's a piece that doesn't really appeal to someone like me. It's kind of knuckle-dragging like athlete as um, Kierkegaard would call me. Would sit and, you sit and look at this piece of art and you go, I don't get it. Like, yeah, I don't get it. I'm not sure why this is great. It doesn't make any sense to me. And you look over and the crew you're with that's more erudite and more learned with the things of art are looking at it and, and just fascinated and talking with one another. And their minds are blown by it. And you're like, I don't, I'm missing something here. There's something I don't see. And the reason I don't see it is not because it's not there. It's because I don't have the equipment, the apparatus in my brain to perceive and understand it, right? And this is like the nature of like touring that museum. You see something that's bigger and it's sort of like these passages to me. When you, when you, and these passages in Jesus' teachings in general, by the way. He taught children, he taught um, peasant day laborers, right? The agrarian poor, he taught them. And he taught in a way that was understandable enough, for sure. You could get the message of Jesus. It wasn't going to require like a mind reader or some giant calculus to figure out exactly what Jesus was, or the bulk of what Jesus was saying. But then you get these passages, and it normally happens when he's hanging out with his disciples, and he starts explaining things, and you're going, what? I think I'm missing something here. And it's kind of comforting because you look at Thomas, and you look at Philip, and you're all looking at each other going, what does he see here? What's he talking about? I don't get it. I don't understand this art he's describing. Another good illustration um, of understanding these complex things. And and, and this is a bigger picture, by the way. We're zooming way out now, and I want to talk about divine revelation. Like, if God exists, if God indeed cares to commune with human beings, if that is all true, which I, I will affirm, if that's true, then God is going to be communicating things to us that are going to be so much more significant and big than probably our brains can handle. 
like my chihuahua when I was a high schooler, does not understand most things. He was a very stupid dog, but he's also a dog. He's not going to get most of what's going on in life, right? Some things he'll get, other things he will not get. If God wants to communicate with us, we're going to have moments where we're going to sit and go, what the heck is he talking about here? Um, a good book, has anyone read um, Flatland? Oh, Todd's read it. Todd's read every book that's ever been written. He's even written half the books out there. Man's got a big library of his own work. Um, if you read uh, Edwin Abbott's late 19th century book, Flatland, it's basically, it's an it's a fa- interesting story about a two-dimensional world where everyone is in two dimensions, and it's narrated by square, right? You can do square, two dimensions. And in this book, it kind of explores society and reality, and in this book, square has this dream that he goes to a one-dimensional world where everything just plots on a line, right? And he tries to explain to one-dimensional world what two-dimensional world is like. And they're just, they can't understand, and they, eventually the king of one-dimensional world wants him killed. It's says, like, we want to kill you. You are disrupting us. This is craziness that you're talking about here, right? And so then you flip back to second-dimensional world, and he has a dream of, of sphere. And the third-dimensional world, sphere comes and visits him. Right? You're like, I have joined a cult. What is Pastor talking about? Don't worry, it's just an illustration. And Sphere comes and visits him and explains a third-dimensional world. Right? That helps me when I try to understand, when I try to think about how could a God communicate with us? How could a perfect creator, genius, loving God communicate with us? He's going to communicate with us, and there are going to be times and places that I'll be like, I don't get it all the way. And if I take a one-to-one literal correlation, then here, here's what Jesus is doing. Hi, I'm Jesus. I'm going to heaven to build you a mansion. So when you die, all your materialistic dreams will come true. Streets of gold. Right? It's like hedonism. All you want, it's there. Just be good for a while and you'll cash in. Like if that's, the, if that's what we're reading. But when you read this little passage in the larger arc of, of John, at least, if not the whole Gospels, you'll notice Jesus has made all these other big, fat I am statements. Right? In, in chapter 6, I am the bread of life. In 8 and 9, I am the light of the world. In chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. And you're a sheep. That kind of goes with my chihuahua illustration. I'm the good shepherd and you're a sheep. My sheep hear my voice and follow me. You're stupid sheep, though. Right? We are kind of stupid sheeps. And this is not like a get you bummed out on yourself. It's just a reality. If God exists, if God is the God reflected in the scriptures, then we are pretty dumb comparatively. And that's okay. But he is a good shepherd. In verse 11, I'm the resurrection. I am the life. That's repeated in 14 here. I'm the way, truth, and I am the life. And then in 15, and 15, I am the vine, which we'll get to later in the series. I am the vine. Abide in me. So he's making all these statements. And it's like Jesus is coming at a truth or a series of truths from all these different angles. He's just deploying metaphors and imagery as as fast as you can get your hands on them. He's trying to help us understand something about what is ultimate, who Jesus is, who God is, what this thing called life is all about. And and sometimes you get a passage like this and you go, what do I do with this passage? How am I to understand it? And so I guess the first piece of this little message is to say, that's okay and that's to be expected. Bill and Todd and Matt and 
Brooke and a lot of our other team here, Tommy, have done a lot of seminary training, tons of seminary training. They've studied like crazy. They're still going to be awed and fascinated by passages of Scripture and go, wow, that's amazing. I don't know what to make of that. Lord, illuminate us. Help us understand. But that's to be expected. So in this passage that to me is so big and so uh, unwieldy for a nice, clean sermon, I wanted to look at two things, two pieces the first one I've given to you, it's kind of a statement. And that is when we think about Jesus and his sta- statement that I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I'm going somewhere. He uses this, this journey metaphor. I'm going somewhere. I'm going to go into the horizon. I'm going somewhere bigger. And I am the way and the truth and the life. If you want to go where I'm going, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. The path is a person. When we... Um, when we take that verse, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but through me, which was just on Jeopardy, by the way. Bill sent me a link to it. It was just on Jeopardy as the final Jeopardy answer. So there's a lot going on in this passage, a lot of value, if you love Jeopardy. When we think about this passage, it's so easy to take it as like a real simple formula where all it's doing is making an exclusive claim. Where all it's doing is making an exclusive claim. Oh, you want God? There's one way to God, and it's Jesus, and that's it. Now, what I want to suggest is it has implications for that, but there is so much more. It's not, it's not necessarily less. It's so much more than that. It's pointing to the fact that the path is a person. Or one way to phrase it, the path is personal. It's not this strange, obscure, mystical journey that you take when you die, but it's something, it's a person that you cling to. It's a, it's a relationship that you bask in and grow in and are stretched in. Let me show this to you real quick. Um, John 3.16. How many know that verse? Let's say it as fast as you can. Ready? One, two, three, go. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son who has ever believed in him. Die! I always come in at the very end and try to beat the person that's coming in quick. It's a strategy. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whoever, or his one and only son, whoever believes in him should not perish, but will have eternal life. And the term, the Greek term for eternal life here, zoe ionios. Everyone say, zoe ionios. Eternal life, full life. Life that goes on and on and on into forever. Life that is full. It's, it's something that C.S. Lewis says, like zoe is, it's not just a, a duration of life. Like you just keep going on. That seems kind of boring. Just sitting in a waiting room, living forever, never dying. But rather it's describing a dimension of life that's so much bigger and fuller. Now that is a promise. That is a, that is a statement of scripture we all kind of know. If you live in Western culture, you've heard whether you're a Christian or not. And then check this out though. John 17, 1 through 3. This is a spoiler alert for our series, the end of our series. But John 17, Jesus, after he's done with all these discourses, he prays a prayer. Praise a prayer. And he says this. After this, Jesus said, uh, he looked to heaven and he prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Again, that reciprocal relationship. Son glorifying father, father glorifying son. If you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. So he said, Jesus says this, I repeat. You have granted him authority over all people that he might give, he might offer, he might have for them eternal life for those you've given him. That same term, zoe ionios. That's the same eternal life that was spoken of in John 3.16 and, by the way, several times throughout John. Same exact phrase, same concept. I think it's one of those concepts that Jesus is continually getting at from all these different directions. And then look what he says in verse 3 of chapter 17. Now this is ha'ionios zoe. This is 
life eternal. This is eternal life. Here it is. Ready? That they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's profound if you ask me. Like, this is that eternal life Jesus talks about in John 3.16 that we all memorize and see sports people plastering across their helmets. This is the eternal life, that they may know you, Father. That they may know you. Like, it's not smaller than that. It's not bigger than that. It is that. It is knowing, it is knowing the Father. That's why I put it in here. The path is a person. I am the way. I am the truth. I am life. It's not like you grab Jesus and try to do a, you know, a, a, a quick run into the end zone of heaven. I got Jesus. Can I get in? I got him. Let Jesus go. No, you can't get in. No, it's not like that. It's instead the idea that Jesus is the way, truth, and the life because Jesus is the life. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the journey. And that sounds like abstract. Like it's like a Zen Buddhist. What's he talking about here? But it's the truth, I think, that continues to be pointed out in these scriptures. That is, that relationship with God, it begins now and grows into forever. And the path is personal. The path is a person. It's not a series of means to an end. But rather, it is a journey. And along that way, as Janie Calvert has once preached here, it's the waiting rooms of life that turn out to be the places where life is happening. While we're waiting for that next thing. And indeed, it's right there where you spend that time with our Lord. Um, to me, I always like to go super big picture, and it just brings me back to the meta-narrative or the big story of the scriptures, the big story that it's trying to communicate. If you look at uh, Hebrew cosmology in Genesis 1 and 2, it talks about all kinds of things. Very few of them 21st century man really wants to know about. I mean, we have a lot of questions we want to ask of God about creation. How would you do it? What mechanisms were in place? How does quantum physics work and quarks and weak matter and all that? How is it all playing together? And the Bible's like, I don't care to talk about that. As a matter of fact, I don't care. I'm going to talk about something else. Not that that's not important. It's just I have something I really need to tell you. And the Genesis accounts communicate Three major truths. One, God, and describing something of the personal God. Two, they describe this earth, this place, its purpose, its goodness. And they describe that we, 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 have, a, we have purpose. We are made not as, not as just slaves of the gods as other ancient Near Eastern stories may have told. We are not these byproducts of something else, but rather there's intentionality and we're made to be in relationship with God and one another enjoying this earth like it's this picture of what's all to be and what's all supposed to be and then when things go bad in genesis 3 when it races to this disruption of things as they were originally meant to be again the big picture the image that the scriptures are trying to communicate to us about maybe four dimension world or whatever dimension you want to talk about but the image of of what how things are supposed to be when it's interrupted the interruption comes and in genesis chapter 3 it says that the man and and, and woman Adam means man and Eve means woman. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. And God calls out, where are you? So it's this beautiful poetic image of what was happening before things went wrong and the consequences now that things have gone wrong. What is the purpose of life? It's to take long, luscious walks in the cool of the day on this earth with our God and one another. I mean, at the end of the day, that's it. That is the beauty of this thing called life. Yet a struggle has happened 
Yet sin or rebellion or disruption has taken place and God is insistent. I will not leave human beings to the systems of their oppression, to the systems of their slavery, to the systems of their trafficking and their wars and their death and their sorrows and their pain and their disease, but rather I will, I will renew all things. All right? And so the story that comes from Abraham that Todd mentioned today with Brad, it begins to weave its way through the rest of the scriptures. It is the story of making all things right again. And the spotlight, the, the sort of fireworks show of human history as the scriptures would have us think about it is right as Jesus is in his ministry. And he's describing, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way. So I just want you to see this passage as both its larger theological const, uh, and historical context, but also as an invitation for intimacy. Eternal life, the journey, the road, the path, it is a person that we relate to. It is an invitation for intimacy with the Father and with the Son. Nearness now, that's what I wrote down, taking a cue from Todd and his sermon prep skills where he, he writes something down. He says, I wrote this down. I love it. It's like, I wrote this down. This is important. It's, I wrote this down. Nearness now. Nearness now. Nearness in your joy. When, you're just, when your mind is blown with, with happiness. I'll take the two poles of human emotion. Nearness in your joy. How many of you saw a sunset last night? Anyone see a sunset last night? I'll bunker it in. Playing Fortnite. Anyone play Fortnite? My students are addicted. We... we we were at the house, and we saw the sunset, just fiery reds and oranges. We went, rush, get the kids. Kids, come outside. Let's look at this. And we all went outside. We made little s'mores over the fire and watched this glorious mural that has been painted. And what's so amazing is I could watch the sunset in the eyes of my children, in the eyes of my beautiful wife. And I could sit and go, we know the artist. In the, in the truest sense, the artist is with us. That's that nearness. I could try to put a box around it and wrap a bow on it and explain it all fully to you. But I'd rather leave it wild-eyed and open to recognize it's nearness now. It's bigger than you think. Nearness in the joy of a good talk and a good friendship. You've had those friendships that are so, so wonderful and, and so meaningful. And, you, and you, you're sharing life together. And you're going through pains and hard things. And, and when you're having that awkward, hard moment at work or you're feeling like you're nobody and you're sad, you think, oh, if my buddy was here, he'd say this about it. He'd make this joke and we'd all laugh. I, I can make it. Right? When you have those kinds of friendships, right, there's nearness in the Lord. There's the joy of the Lord in that, in that moment. He's with you in that moment. One of the new pleasures that Bray and I have, have discovered in our life as new foster parents is this really weird and exciting joy that comes from anticipating your next placement or anticipating your placement. So when, when, when you're, we were approved and we're waiting to hear the call, the phone rings, say, we have, you know, a, a, an African-American female or a, or a, um, a Caucasian um, a, a male two-year-old or a Hispanic male um, five-month-old. They just give you, that's all they really give you. I mean, they have almost no information. And you sit there and you get the call and Bray has this little code. We have this code where if I'm lecturing at school at Biola, um, I'm lecturing, call me, and if I don't answer, call me twice. That way I know i got to send my students on a break. And if not, do the whole find my phone interruption thing and make my phone go off. Because sometimes you only have like 20 minutes to call back. Like you have to make the call very quickly. And it's crazy. 
And when you, when you get that call and you say yes, and you're racing home on the 91, which is like an oxymoron. There's no racing happening on the 91. And you get home and you see these babies and you go, oh, Lord, this is so amazing. It's just a feeling I can't even describe. It's like your own children when you had your own children. But it's different qualitatively. It's beautiful. Different. And it's great. So the joys of the Lord is right there. And also nearness to us in our pain. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life in our pain. Um, many of you know uh, Todd recently went through one of the most, one of the most painful season of his life, where he was in some of the most physically excruciating, unrelenting pain for months. And those of us that know Todd, we know the difference between you know, I twisted my ankle on a bike ride and a deepness to the pain that was not going away. And I'll, I'll just say this: he, he didn't know I was going to say this, but. Um, you have a pastor that understands, I think, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that in the midst of that entire journey of non-ending pain, he was pursuing God with like every ounce that he could. Listening to things. Have, pray, have me pray over him. <laughs> seeking the Lord in different ways he had never done before. And I, I went over there the night before the surgery. And I remember I went over there to, just to pray with them and, and to be with them. And, and you, you don't know what to expect. You're not sure what state things are going to be. But you're kind of like, I'm just going in. I love this man. I want to pray for him. And, and you walk into the room, and it's him and Denise. I think, I think Brittany was there. And the fire's going. And there's just this light worship music that's just filling the room. And the Bible's open over here, and they're there together, and it, the room was just thick with the Holy Spirit of God. It's like you just sense the enduring presence of God. Like God had been invited in every night, every day, one and again and again. And you walk in the room and you go, there's something here. And, and it was just overwhelming. It, it marked me. It really did. I'll never forget it. We prayed together. And it was a sense of which the nearness in that journey of pain that Todd had been through, it was so real. It was so real. And I just as an outsider seeing it. So he's near to us. Jesus is in the boat during our storm. And like Stefan said last week, where Jesus is, there is peace. That's where that eternal life begins now and grows into forever. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The path is a person. And it's a relationship. And the rest of the passage says some pretty massive things. For example, just to take a couple samples... Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. Like, what do I do with that? Like, bigger works than Jesus? What do I even make of that passage? Or things like this. I will do whatever you ask in my name so the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. And you're like, that never works in the Super Bowl. Never works. My Bitcoin price, I'm kidding, I didn't buy any Bitcoin. Never works. And you look at this passage and go, what do I make of that? But to me, uh, as I kind of wind this down, I'm going to invite someone up. Uh, this, this passage reminds me of a trailhead. It's like a signpost. It's like you're on this journey and you think it's a small loop. And you get to the far corner of the loop of this journey of, of following Jesus. And you suddenly go, oh my goodness, there's a whole other massive trail that leads off. And you kind of peek down the trail and it's, it's, it's beautiful and, and scary. 
And you go, there's more. There's this great line I used in the blurb this week from the 2001 um, motion picture uh, depiction of Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Rings. And there's these two hobbits that are walking and they're leaving the Shire and Samwise, Genji, and Frodo. And, and, and Sam all of a sudden says, this is it. This is it. And Frodo says, what? He says, if I take one more step, I'll be the farthest away from home I've ever been. Frodo says, come on, Sam. Remember what Bilbo used to say. It's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out your door. You step onto the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no telling where you might be swept off to. It's a dangerous thing, stepping out that door. For me, John 14 is a trailhead leading to new grand territories and adventures of faith. I can't explain it all the way. It's not a formula, a magic trick that you deploy when you want something in your life to be better. So many times, I don't know about you, but I treat this relationship with Jesus like it's um, a, a good thing for alleviating guilt. Like I did some bad things. I did some jacked up things. How many of you did bad things? All right, what did you do? What, let's go. I'm kidding. I don't want to hear what you did. I don't want to hear about your weird sins. And if it's just about alleviating guilt, by the way, I'm in. That's amazing. If that's all it is, it's just alleviating our guilt and, and wiping us clean from the, the destructive, deceitful, jacked up things we've done and continue to do in our lives. I'm all in, baby. I need it. I want it. I love it. But the reality is it's so much more than that. That's the ground floor of this thing. If it's about behavior modification, helping you raise well-behaved teenagers to be good citizens, many of you would sign up. That's a great thing. But it's so much more than that. If it's about afterlife insurance, I hope when I die, I go to the you know, sweet by and by. It rhymes. Helps you with that promotion at work. Helps you get that edge on the market. If it makes your marriage more manageable, if it makes it a little bit easier to be living out in singleness, then great, but like ground floor, ground level, when we did this series on Ephesians 1, and Ephesians empowerment, and Paul's whole prayer in Ephesians 1 is that, that, that our, the eyes of our heart might be open so we can see how vast and how wide and how rich and how deep the love of God is and how much more he has for us in our lives, living into our purpose. There's more, it keeps shouting to us. There's more, there's new horizons. This passage is a trailhead. To further places. This is open-ended. I'm not making this a neat, clean sermon for you to walk away and slot it in your systematic theology and feel good about yourself. I'm letting it be as untamed as I think I see it here. That says, whether you're looking over the fence at this Christianity thing, hoping we're not going to sacrifice a goat at any time soon, we do that after the service, typically. No, we don't. Or whether you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time and you've learned and mastered everything, there's more this keeps telling us. As a church, we want to move as a caravan of love into the more. This isn't a bunch of individual journeys scurrying off like ants in different directions, though ants typically stick together. Bad illustration. This is indeed a caravan of love that we are traveling together. There's a reason why one of these buckets, I don't know which one, it's over here, 2028. River 2028, we want to posture ourselves and say, Lord, our next 10 years of ministry, we want to be grander and bigger and more beautiful, not just in size or in finance or in all the small measures. But, Lord, we want to go where you're leading us, and we don't know where it is. So, God, here we are 
take our Lego palace and rearrange this thing. Right? Yeah, let's get, come on. That's right. So the trail leads us on. I, I want, I asked someone who's been down more fascinating, beautiful, dangerous, winding trails with the Holy Spirit of God that anyone I probably know. Um, Janie Calvert to come up here. And I asked Janie, I said, Janie, you're like, she's like a Sherpa that, you know, has been up and down these mountains of faith. And she hates all the stuff I'm saying right now because she's so darn humble and Christ-like. But I said, Janie, would you pray, would you write a prayer over our church and then drop it in that bucket 2028 to close off our service? And after she's done, we're going to invite the band back up and we're going to have some time of communion. But Janie, would you, would you pray for us? Thank you so much. When James asked me if um, I would pray over our church, I thought that was a fabulous thing to do. I, I'm so excited to do that. And when he shared what his message was about and what scripture he was using, he said, there's more. And I said, you know, James, it's so funny you say that because I have a friend that I was really close to and uh, a fabulous man of God that struggled with an illness for seven or eight years, and it finally took him to heaven. And when he was leaving the earth, he had some friends around his bed, and they were asking him what he was thinking about. And he was very lucid right to the end, and um, his wife shared this with me, and she said that, he took his arm and he held it up to heaven and he said, there's more. And she said, you know, we didn't know if he was glimpsing the beyond and starting to see where he was going because he was very close to death. She said, we don't really know. And he didn't explain it. He just, that was his last words was there's more. And I told James, you know, there's always more where God is concerned. We don't need to ever, ever limit our life. And if we do, if we limit what God has for us, we cheat ourselves because he has more. He always has more. So please pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, this is your church, and you have exceeding, exceedingly blessed it. When it began, there was a vision for it to be a place where your name would be glorified and praised, where people could come and worship and feel cared about and loved. You have led and guided the past 10 years. There are many stories of people who have seen you work in their lives, and we are very grateful. As we look at the next 10, we want to experience more, Lord. We desire vision for how our church can matter, how we as your servants can be the difference in our homes, our families, our neighborhoods, and all the places we interact with people. May we be bold about how you are, Lord, how big you are, how much you love us, and desire to be at the center of all we do. Lord, you say, that there is nothing too hard for you. 
as a church, let's, let's test that and ask you to accomplish much. May our prayer baskets be full and have great expectations for what you will accomplish. We thank you ahead of time for what we will witness and feel inspired by. You are the great and mighty God, and we love you and are excited for what is ahead for the River Church. In your name we pray.